who are going to express their love to you as well. We're just so thankful for you, and thank you for loving our kids and loving us. Hey, and boys and girls, thanks for coming in and, te- and helping tell Somi how much we love her. It's good to see you guys today. You know, you, you may not realize this uh, if, you're, if you're down here with, with the rest of us, but over the last couple of weeks, uh, because uh, we're, we've had more kids in, in our preschool kids' church, in our kids' church, we're actually having to start adding in a few extra volunteers. So we're just grateful for that, seeing the way that's happening. Well, today we're, we're beginning a, a sermon series on the seven letters from the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapters 2 and 3, we find these seven different letters, each one addressed to, to a different church. Sometimes people say, well, why are, there, why are there seven letters? Why not six letters or eight letters or 13 letters or whatever, right? Seven is a, a theologically significant number. We first encounter that number seven actually in the book of Genesis, in the creation story. The first six days, God created the, the heavens and the earth and, and all that was, was in the heavens and the earth. And on the seventh day, God rested. Sometimes if we're not careful, we can view that seventh day as as sort of just like kind of what happened. Creation was done and God needed a break. We miss the point if we do that, though, because really that, that seventh day was the day of completion, the day of fulfillment, the day of uh, when everything come together. And what we see is that the fulfillment of creation is for people to live in fellowship with God and with God's creation. That's the purpose of this. And so so seven theologically represents for us this idea of completeness or or wholeness or, or God's purpose for things. And so the fact that there were seven letters written, they, they were to seven specific churches, but, but because this is seven letters, this is also a sense letters to the whole church, the complete church. This message to the church of, of what it is that the church should should know and hear and do and be. The reason all of this matters is because many of the churches then found themselves dealing with, with currents of culture that were swirling all around them, that, that had the danger of, of sort of getting them caught up and, and drifting away from their purpose. And that's the, the reality in, in, in which things are. There, there are currents swirling. It's true for us today. There's all these currents in the world swirling around us. And, and the danger with currents is that we can get caught up and begin to drift. And the danger with drifting is that we're usually not too worried about it until we've drifted far too far away. And so the letters to the churches in Revelation were an invitation for them just as they're an invitation for us. And here's my desire for how I hope we would approach these these next weeks together. That we would use this as an invitation from God to experience God's grace in fresh and new ways. And so that we would gather with with a spirit of humility. That we would come, that we would humble ourselves. That we would spend time in prayer and spend time in examination Asking God's Holy Spirit to speak into our lives, 
to help us see if there are areas that we need our image to be more conformed to the image of the Lamb. I know that's my desire, and I hope that's yours as well. And so I just invite you to join me into this, these next weeks together with that spirit of, of humility, that, that spirit of prayer, and that spirit of reflection as we hear these letters to God's church today. Sound good? If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to, to join me in the book of Revelation chapter 2. We're going to start with the first letter today, and if you're able to this morning, I just ask you to stand as we read God's word today. Write this to the angel of the church in Ephesus. These are the words of the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven gold lampstands. I know your works, your labor, and your endurance. I also know that you don't put up with those who are evil. You have tested those who say they are apostles but are not, and you have found them to be liars. You have shown endurance and put up with a lot for my namesake, and you haven't gotten tired. But I have this against you. You have let go of the love you had at first. So remember the high point from which you have fallen. Challenge your hearts and lives and do the things you did at first. If you don't, I'm coming to you. I will move your lampstand from its place if you don't change your hearts and lives. But what you have but what you have this or excuse me, but you have this in your favor. You hate what the Nicolaitans are doing, which I also hate. If you can hear, listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. I will allow those who emerge victorious to eat from the tree of life, which is in God's paradise. This is the word of God for the people of God. And we say together, thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. You know, the first letter we find here in, in Revelation is, is written to the church in Ephesus. Ephesus was an important city. It was a, a large city in terms of population. A lot of people today think it was probably about 250,000, maybe even as much as 500,000 people who lived there. I know that doesn't seem all that large by today's standards, but, but 2,000 years ago, that would have made Ephesus one of the largest cities in the world. It was a large city. One of the reasons it was so big is because it was an economically important city. It was located in what's modern-day Turkey, and it was a port city on the Aegean Sea. So there was a lot of commerce that passed through there, which, which some of what led to the size, but, but there was a lot of money and a lot of goods that, that flowed through Ephesus. So was it important because of its size? It was important economically. It was also an important city politically. In the first century, Ephesus was in part of, part of the, the Roman Empire. And Rome actually made Ephesus its sort of capital of, of Asia Minor. And so it was significant for this whole area. It was, it was actually second in importance only to the city of Rome itself. And so in many ways, you know today, sometimes if people are referring to, to the U.S., they'll, they'll talk about what's happening in Washington. Or if people are, are referring to, to what's happening in China, they'll talk about what's going on in Beijing. Or if people are talking about what's happening in Russia, they'll talk about what's happening in Moscow. You know what I'm talking about? In many ways, because said what Ephesus, Ephesus was representative of this much 
larger area. It was an important city. It was also important religiously. In Ephesus, there was this large temple to, to the god Artemis, which was a Artemis was was originally a Greek god, but but in Ephesus they'd kind of taken the original Greek god and merged things with the the Roman god Diana, and they kind of merged these two things together and kind of created this hybrid religion. But there was a huge temple there. In fact, the temple was was so large and so significant that it was known as one of the seven wonders of the world at that time. Seven one, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. You know, Paul went to the city of Ephesus and actually started a church there. And later on, he would come back and visit that church. And in Acts chapter 19, Paul actually kind of got driven out of the city of Ephesus because the, the silver artisans who, who made their livelihood around that temple, they didn't like the message that Paul was preaching. Paul was preaching a message against these other gods, and that threatened their economic livelihood. And so Paul actually had to sort of flee for his own well-being. Ephesus was this city that was just constantly moving, moving politically, moving economically, moving religiously. It even moved physically. It was located on the Aegean Sea, but it was also located where a river flowed into the sea, and the surrounding hillsides had been uh, deforested and overgrazed. And so what happened was a lot of soil ran off into the river. And as the river flowed into the sea, it deposited that soil there and the harbor filled up. And so the city of Ephesus kind of continued to move. In fact, today, the, the shore is five miles from where it was 2,000 years ago. So, so Ephesus was kind of just this city on the move. Because of that, it's it's no wonder that, that the people uh, of the church there, that, that they were worried about getting caught up in, in all of this movement that was happening around them. I mean, that's kind of what happened with the temple. The temple to, to Artemis had originally been this temple to this Greek god, but, but the people in Ephesus had also taken all of the good things about Rome and the things they appreciated about the, the, the empire in which they lived, and they merged those things together. Their, their politics came to form and shape their faith rather than the other way around. And so, so the church was, was worried about this. They, they didn't want to get caught up in, in the same thing. They, 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 they tried to guard themselves from being caught up in, in all of these currents of culture that were just so powerful. And we actually see them being praised for this. In those verses we, we read a few minutes ago, we, we read things like, you don't put up with those who are evil. You've tested those who say they are apostles and aren't really apostles. And you've had endurance. You've stuck with it through all of these things. Good for you. Amen. Let's go eat. You know, the, their greatest strength, though, was also their greatest weakness. They'd worked so hard to protect themselves from these outside influences that that, that strength actually became something that, that hindered them. One of the things they, they tried to do was maintain sound teaching. They worked hard to make sure that those who were, were speaking a message to them were actually speaking what was, what was true. 
But you know the danger of being so focused to something like that is you begin to treat everything else with suspicion. And you question everything you hear. You know, if you're looking for somebody to say something wrong, you realize you'll find it every time, don't you? If your approach is listening for somebody to mess up, then they're always going to mess up. That's, that's just the way it is. And because of their, their desire to maintain sound teaching, they, they, they found themselves being suspect of everything that was said. They also had this desire to sort of maintain who they were, to, to maintain their community, to, to keep themselves pure from those outside. But in their attempts to, to keep themselves pure, they, they separated themselves from those around them. And in their attempts to maintain community, they forgot how to have compassion. You know, in, in their attempt to, to, to try to maintain their love for God, they, they actually forgot how to love others. They got so caught up in all of this that, that, that in doing so, they, they, they forgot what God's plans were from the very beginning. From the very beginning, God came not just to love the church. God came to love everyone. God came to pour his grace out upon people so they, in turn, could go and be God's blessing to everyone. And somewhere along the way, this church had lost sight of that. They'd gotten so focused on what God was doing with them that, that they'd forgotten to allow God to work through them into the, the lives of those around them. You know, as I was reading over this and reflecting on this, I kind of thought, you know, sometimes I feel like I live in Ephesus. I feel like I live in a place where there's just all of these influences around me. I feel like I live in a, in a culture or a time when things just seem to be moving rapidly. Whether it's economically, politically, you name it. It's just moving, it's changing, all of this is happening. You know, we're surrounded by some really powerful currents in culture around us. There's political currents that, if we're not careful, can can try to mix in with our faith and shape our faith rather than letting our shape faith those or, or form those things. There's these economic currents that are, that are so powerful that, that, that tell us just to do what's best for us that can help us, if we're not careful, forget that we're also called to love others. There's powerful currents in, in the world around us, and the danger with currents is we can just get caught up and, and sort of slip away. You know, some of these currents have been really powerful this last year. So much changing. So many talking voices, sometimes it's hard to know who to listen to and what's right or, or, or what's wrong. So much coming at us from all directions that, that it, you know what, it, honestly, it's no wonder that sometimes people have just tried to pull back and fortify themselves. With so much change, with so much happening, sometimes we just need something to stand on, Right? But the danger of doing that is the same danger that this church in Ephesus faced is that we can get caught up, so caught up in, in trying to maintain where we are that we forget what we've been intended to do and created to do. You know, the, the question I, I really think we have for us is, is in the midst of, of trying to remain faithful with powerful currents, have we forgotten how to love? Have we forgotten how to love? I mean, we need proper doctrine. Don't get me wrong there. 
It's important that, that we make sure that, that we're not allowing what we believe to be influenced by other messages. It's, it's important for us to maintain those things. It's important for us to maintain pure practices, right? It's important for us to live in the kinds of ways that we've been called to live, but, but we can't just do that for ourselves. We've been called to, to go and live in a way that, that we would reach this stuff out to those people around us. So the question is, is, is in these efforts to try to maintain our love for God, have we forgotten how to love those around us? That was the issue that Ephesus wrestled with some there. I don't know if you caught it or not, but, but there was sort of a, a, a remedy that was given. How is it that they could address this challenge that they face? You know, the, the book of Revelation is, we know, is written by John and often is kind of lumped together with, with other Johannine literature, the, the epistles and also the gospel of John. And this reminder to remember who they were intended to be, as I thought about that, I was reminded of a story from the gospel of John. It's a story in, in which Jesus was, was journeying with his disciples and we're told that Jesus had to go to Samaria. <laughs> he just had to go there. Samaria was not the place any good Jew went to. I mean, going to Samaria would be like a, a good Gonzaga fan saying they had to go to North Carolina. Like, you don't have to go to North Carolina, right? Not if you're a Gonzaga fan. I mean, Jews and Samaritans, they, they just didn't go together. The reason they didn't go together is, see, Samaritans were, were this group of people who, who, when the exile happened, they had stayed. And as others from outside of, of their faith moved in, the Samaritans kind of intermarried with them. And they took elements of these pagan religions and they integrated them into their Jewish faith. And they just kind of tried to take the best of both and, and mix it all together. And so, so their faith had kind of become corrupted in the process. Well, but then when some of the exiles came back, the Samaritans who'd remained actually volunteered to help them rebuild. And the Jews said, no way, we don't want any part of you. So there was kind of bad blood on both sides here. So Jews and Samaritans, they, they just didn't interact together. But, but here John tells us that Jesus had to go to Samaria. And so Jesus went to Samaria and he, he stops outside of the city in the middle of the day, the hottest part of the day. And here comes this woman to gather water at the well. Well, there's only really a couple of reasons you would come to gather water in the hottest part of the day. Most of them center around things that, that aren't good, right? The woman came in the middle of the day because she didn't want to see other people. The reason she didn't want to see other people was because of the way in which she'd chosen to live her life. And everybody else knew the way in which she had chosen to live her life. Well, when Jesus encounters this woman at the well, he, he asks her if, if she would give him some water. And she is so shocked, first of all, that here this Jewish man would ask her, a Samaritan woman, for water. And after they talk a little bit, Jesus says, you know, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for water because I can give you living water. And at first she's thinking, if I could get this water, I wouldn't have to come to the well every day. How can I get this water? And Jesus tells her, you know, it's not that kind of water. It's something much different than that. She begins to kind of get these clues that, that he is, is somebody special. And in their interaction, Jesus says that, that he'll give her this water, but she needs to go back and get her husband. So you know what the woman says. Many of you know this story. She says, I don't have a husband. 
And Jesus says, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've had many before. And the man you're living with now is not even your husband. About this time, she realizes that he's not an ordinary man. She goes on to explain who, she, who he is. And then we see this extraordinary thing. That this woman that Jesus encountered goes back into her village, goes back into her town, goes back to where all these people that she's tried to avoid, she goes and finds them. And you know what she says to them? She says, come and meet a man who knew everything about me and didn't care. Come and meet a man who knew everything about my life and loved me anyway. You know why I love that story? It's not the story of the Samaritan woman. It's the story of you and me. See, we have a God who's found us where we were, who's known all of those things about us, even the things we would try to hide from other people. And God's loved us anyway. And God's invited us to come and to experience his grace and his love and his mercy. Do you remember that? Do you remember where you were when God found you? Do you remember what your life was like before you knew the love and grace of God? Do you remember that place? Because we have a God who finds us in that place but doesn't leave us there, who, who invites us to experience his grace so that our lives can be transformed so that we can be set free. Amen? You know, and the reason I think we're called to remember is because when we remember how we were loved, when we didn't deserve to be loved, when we remember that, it makes it easier for us to know how, in turn, to love as well. And in the midst of a world that is all of these powerful currents of culture that try to pull us different ways, we certainly need to be clear about what we believe. We certainly need to be clear about our practices. But we also need to remember how we have been loved so that we also can share that love with those around us. Amen? When we remember how we were loved, we know how to love. Let's pray together today. Lord, we thank you today that you are a God who's loved us. And Lord, today as we come, we come as a church that, that lives in some interesting days. We find ourselves living in the midst of a culture with powerful currents that could pull us away. And God, in the midst of that, we want to stay rooted in you. But Lord, in the midst of that, we also want to remember what it is you've called us to do to begin with. That we're not just called to experience your love and grace, but you've invited us to experience your love and grace so that we can share your love and grace with those around 